Hello, our goslings, and welcome to The Smug Buds, where we explain everything to the geese. My name is Liz, and I'm here with my pod wife, Will. Hello, Will. Hi, Liz. You sound uh, very NPR-ish this evening. (laughs) And you're listening to The Smug Buds. On WSMG. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, what? what is, are you just putting letters together? Uh, no, they're the consonants in the word smug, but with a W, because it always begins with a K or a W, It right? does, it does always begin with a K or W. Yeah. Do you know why that is? I feel like you have um, radio no. background. It, it, I do have a little bit of radio background, but I don't know why. It is something that I have thought about, but never <laughs> bothered to look up. Something that you've noticed, but not actually cared to investigate. That's right. Um, did you just hear my cat meow? Yeah. Hi, Rudy. Oh, wow. Our first uh, guest cat appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Rudy, are you seriously going to sit up here with me? <laughs> I mean, <okay>. Wow. <laughs> it's a vocal actually, Rudy. You know what? I think Rudy actually was in the, um, I was going to say the pilot. I think he was in the first episode, <laughs> but it wasn't the first episode even. It was the, um, it was the first MCU episode. Yeah. My first episode. Yeah. Um, so, Will, I have, like, so much to say about this, and to yeah. the point that um, I want to tell our goslings, this is the first episode that I practice recorded. Yeah, you rehearsed for this. Without you there. Yeah, which, do you mind me saying, is uh, insane? <laughs> <laughs> Can I also say, um, I talked to you as if you were here? Oh, boy. <laughs> and a couple of times... Kenny responded as if he were mm. you. Oh, okay. <laughs> was there was there an impression involved, or was he no, just he, answering himself? So when I was recording, he was making me. It, so we're recording this right after Mother's Day, a holiday that I celebrate because it makes me feel good, but I understand makes many people feel bad, and so I I don't I'm not particularly um, attached to it. But mm-hmm. um, the thing I did ask for Mother's Day was that Kenny make me these very delicious pecan sticky buns. Mm-hmm. And um, they take a long time to make. So you have to make the dough, then you have to let it rise. Well, that's going, you have to make a caramel sauce, um, and then you have to roll them out, all this stuff. And so he was making them and clanking a lot in the background. Mm-hmm. And Kenny knows his way around the kitchen, but he sometimes knows <laughs> – that I'm a little bit more, but he knows I'm a little bit more deaf than he is. So he sometimes asks me questions. So at one point I say, Will, you actually went to the championship uh, to see me without you. And Kenny said, I'm Will. And I totally did. Okay. I have a mm. question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think I need to ask the question that's on everyone's mind, which yes. is, did you actually record yourself doing this? And does that recording exist? Oh, yeah. I actually recorded myself. And and you you've preserved that. Yes, I can send it to you. Okay, <laughs> the, it, maybe, it's, it can be the demo. If all goes according to plan, maybe <laughs> one day that will be a uh, uh, Patreon content. Yeah, it's. I will say it's like pretty fucking horrific to listen to the second half of it though, because the first half Kenny wasn't here, and the second half is like literally him going like crash, bang, getting a pan, beep and a boop. Like, how long did you do this for? Uh, it was an hour. Jeez. <laughs> That's why I'm like, we got to get into it, Will. Yeah, go, go ahead. Get into it. So, Will, what are we talking about this week? Uh, on this brand new episode of oh, The Jesus. Smug Buds, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's the uh, long-awaited and very much uh, promised topic of the p- 
post-punk musical group Brand New. Yes, and I'm I'm calling this episode What Do We Do About Brand New? So mm-hmm. um I have a lot of resources available. Um I'm going to give I'm going to do a lot of talking, Will. So just really quickly mm-hmm. while I bring this up, what what's your uh, relationship with Brand New? Uh, I know re- you brought them up previously on a yes. podcast. Right. I have a history with Brand New uh that I might liken to yours but to a lesser degree mm-hmm. um i uh went to high school and as many people do uh met a bunch of new uh people who were my peers mm-hmm. and at that time i had uh very little in the way of uh taste in music uh i referenced it in our last episode i had one favorite band and they were a ska band called Five Iron Frenzy. Mm-hmm. And my ska phase was like basically the full extent of my music knowledge. And one of the people that I met in freshman year of high school was a, a peer named uh, Stephen Martis. And uh, he knew uh, some more about music than I did. And I remember him recommending uh, two bands to me right off the bat that I then checked out an album from each of them and uh, got attached. And one of those bands Mm -hmm. was Motion City Soundtrack. And that Uh, album was called I Am The Movie. Mm -hmm. And the other band was Brand New. And my entry point into Brand New was their album uh, Deja and Tendu. Mm -hmm. And that album I have listened to a lot. And it was an album that I not only enjoyed by myself, but enjoyed in conjunction with a cousin of mine. And we would often uh, put it on while one of us or both of us were playing a video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would just sort of score uh, our our lives and our, our uh, activities. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. It, w- it wasn't until a little later that I got their album, uh, Your Favorite Weapon. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to that. Album. Yep, I liked it, uh, but not as much, but I was into it. And then I think I went back to Steven in high school and I was like, oh, I bought your favorite weapon, uh, uh, you know, trying to impress him or whatever. And <laughs> uh, I he might have asked me, what's your favorite track? Or maybe I might have just volunteered that information. Do you remember for, what it was? Yes, that's the reason I'm I'm saying is because oh, okay. I told him my favorite track on your favorite weapon was mixtape oh yeah of course and he was like oh that's the, that's the worst song on the album oh he can fuck <laughs> off that's not the worst song on the album and that's a beloved song yeah well i but, mean that's all up to that's all in question now but <laughs> i i think it is indicative of like i i think my one of the ways in which my taste is questionable mm-hmm. is that i err to the side of um Anything that makes me laugh the most, and therefore you like I like novelty. Gravi- exactly, I was going to say, novelty was going to be like the next word out of my mouth. Yeah, like I gravitate, I gravitate towards like some novelty songs, some novelty bands, mm-hmm. and stuff that is like, yeah, it's it's a little, you know, you know, any, you know, some other people might turn their, turn up their nose at it and be like, what, like, yeah, okay, like that's 
fine for what it is, but like that's your favorite? <laughs> that song's so funny because that has the line, you know, it, it, that song is funny because it sort of repeats itself twice but changes slightly the second time. And yeah. that's, I think, a good indication of Brand New in terms of them being very self-aware very early mm-hmm. on because yeah. um, he says um, – or the first time he says it, he says, um, I'm sick of your tattoos and the way you don't appreciate the Smiths and Morrissey. Right. The second time he says it, he says, I'm sick of your tattoos and the way, the way you, don't, you appreciate don't appreciate Brand, brand new. new or and me. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was part of the reason that I liked the song was that, like I thought that that was funny and interesting. Yeah. And I, I liked, uh, you know, uh, this is the first song for your mixtape and it's short just like your temper. Yeah. And I thought that was a funny line. And it's also funny because like I think that that song is the longest track on the album. <laughs> I Okay, so I was looking at this earlier and it's – um. I think it's the third longest. So okay, grammar yeah. at a but it's not really a short long. song. By and any seventy times, or um, yeah, seventy times seven is pretty long. But yeah, it's uh-huh, it's right. top three. Yeah, it's like five minutes long or something. Well, like that. and like that song too is again lyrically not particularly dense because it repeats itself almost verbatim. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um. But okay, so we we're starting to talk about things. So let me let me sort of lay down. I'm gonna. So this is my sort of my story in. Like two and a half acts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to lay down the premise of why I'm making this podcast, um, which mm-hmm. has tortured me. Mm-hmm. And not the podcast, but this subject. Yes, right. I'm going to go through a bit of some history. Um, I know I'm going to sound sort of gushy in that history, but do keep in mind that the whole time I'm talking about it, I am um, aware that um, – I sound gushy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I'm going to ask two questions um, or I'm going to explain the sort of situation I'm in as yes. a person who has been a fan of Brand New. And I'm going to mm-hmm. ask two questions and not I, one I think I can answer. The other one I think I am um, not totally sure yeah. on, but I think it's Cl- worth asking. Classic introduction stuff. Yes. So part one. Mm-hmm. And this is also giving context not just for brand new, but for, m- for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So November 10th, 2017, there were allegations alleged against Jesse Lacey that he had uh, participated in sexual misconduct against women, um, abusing his power as somebody in a really beloved band, um, most horrifically against minors. Mm-hmm where he had um, been accused by one woman at first and then multiple women of um, having relationships um, through Skype and AIM, um, where he requested nude pictures and also requested to masturbate in front of them. Mm. Um, In some cases, it seems like it may have gone further than that. Um, And it also seems that it wasn't like these were one-time events. These women in general uh, seem to be saying that this happened for like years. Yeah. Um. That was a Friday. My mother-in-law was visiting, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast. November 11th, my father-in-law had a stroke, and he hit his head and went into a coma. Um, December 7th, he died. And December 10th was his memorial service. And so Mm -hmm. during what was 
the most terrible month of my life to date. Um, I was also, there was this like undercurrent where I wanted nothing more than to listen to Brand New, the band that brought me comfort in the times that I felt the most fucked up. And yet I felt guilty about it the entire time. Yeah. Because I knew that Jesse Lacey had really fucked up. And with cancel culture, I felt like I had to stop. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't shut it out. And I didn't know what stop meant. And that's sort of what we're going to be talking about. So I also just want to say this. This podcast is not asking the question of if what Jesse Lacey did was wrong. It irrefutably was wrong. And it's also not asking the question of whether or not to believe he actually committed these acts. I know that he did for two reasons. The first is because the survivors told us, but the mm-hmm. second is because he also told us that he did. There's an apo- yeah. He apologized is the other thing that happened. And yes. we'll get to that apology later. In the, in the immortal words of Mitch McConnell, I believe the women. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So now that we've gotten through that part, mm-hmm. uh, here's the timeline. So I feel like part of so part of the reason I'll get to more about this later, but part of the reason I want to talk about this too is because how did we get to this point with brand new where brand new became so beloved? And also, um if you're looking at an apology in terms of what makes a good apology, not in terms of something being like good in terms of it being fun or enjoyable. Like mm-hmm. I think Jesse Lacey had a pretty good apology. Um, okay. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about why later. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely a moment where we sort of retroactively looked back and there was like a lot to process once we knew what he had actually been doing in his life. Mm-hmm. So let's go through a timeline. So the best way I think to describe why Brand New was different than the other bands of this era is to compare them to another band of this era. And the best band to compare them to is, can you guess? Uh, 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 My Bloody Valentine. Taking Back Sunday. Okay. Fair enough. So this is why. Um, Jesse Lacey, um, lead singer of Brand New, was friends with John Nolan from Taking Bath Sunday. And hypothetically, they were all sort of friends with one another. But Mm. um, John Nolan was the backup singer to Taking Bath Sunday and the guitarist, Adam Lazara being the lead singer. And um, John and Jesse had a girlfriend. Um, I say a girlfriend. There was a girl that one of them was dating. The other one... um, sort of hooked up with this girl. It was a thing. They've said in interviews, and Sam Martone, our friend um, of the pod, can speak <laughs> a little bit better to this. It's not really important here, but um, they sort of blew this up a little bit um, as as sort of as a joke. Um, okay. And so some some things happened where there were some lyrics shared between their albums, which is part of the mm. reason why I think it's good to start with them, right? Because they're sort of mm-hmm. starting on in this evil evil playing field jesus (laughs) christ this even playing field uh paging dr freud (laughs) so your favorite weapon um their brand new's first album comes out in 2001 and there's some key lyrics from this so there's um jude law a semester abroad was the single from that and this is where you get the like just pure like this is early aughts at this point but this sort of lays the ground for mid-aughts 
punk rock mm-hmm. too that's just pure angst emo even one might say so the mm-hmm. lyrics from that are things like so here's a present to let you know i still exist i hope the next boy that you kiss has something terribly contagious on his lips and there's another verse later that says and even if her plane crushes tonight she'll find some way to disappoint me by not burning in the wreckage or drowning at the bottom of the sea yeah um you know classic mm-hmm. but then in terms of the shared lyrics <clears throat> There was the song 70 times 7, which was directly um, referencing this affair, affair that happened. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to read these lyrics um, to then compare in a second. So Jesse sings, so is this what you call – is that what you call a get- getaway? Tell me what you got away with because I've seen more spine and jellyfish. I've seen more guts and 11-year-old kids. Have another drink and drive yourself home. I hope there's ice on all the roads and you can think of me when you forget your seatbelt and again when you ha- when your head goes through the windshield – is that what you call tact? You're as subtle as a brick in the small of my back, so let's end this call and end this conversation. And is this what you call a getaway? Tell me what you got away with. Because you left the phrase from the ties you severed when you say best friends means friends forever. So this album comes out, and it's 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 like a solid like punk rock album. Um, angsty. It's got these sort of clever twists of lines. Fine. Mm-hmm. That's 2001. 2002, Tell All Your Friends comes out by Taking Back Sunday. This album is, as far as I'm concerned, just perfect. <laughs> it's, oh. um, it's not perfect in the sense that it is like, um, like super feminist, but it <laughs> is, um, it's super androcentric actually. And I have a, mm-hmm. I have a collection of poems I wrote called Taking Back, Taking Back Sunday where I rewrite these lyrics because in the sort of theme in these songs is like, um, you know, in some ways it's kind of queer in the sense that like the dude is only concerned about the other dude and they're like, he's like really concerned about the other dude. The woman is either there like either as um, like they're they're just the men are really concerned with one another, almost to the point that mm-hmm. they forget that the woman's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman is more of like a talking point, yeah. um, which is, of course, not great. And that's where it's problematic. But but they did this amazing thing in Tell All Your Friends where they had a call and response style. Have you listened to Tell All Your Friends? No. Oh, my God. Okay. So – No, I've, would, I've never never voluntarily listened to any uh, Taking Back Sunday. Um, I would definitely suggest at least once listening to Tell All Your Friends. So there's they're doing this thing where Adam Lazara will say a line and then John Nolan will respond. And so sometimes mm. they're talking to each other. Sometimes they're layering on top of each other. Sometimes one person's note is sailing while the other person picks up a verse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, um, Adam Lazara might start and say, um, well, I can't regret. And then John Nolan would say, could you just forget it? I started something I couldn't finish. And each line is going back and forth. Yeah. So that's part of the reason this album was so popular because – when you are with your friends and you're singing this album, one of you takes the, the Lazara part, one of you yeah. takes the Nolan part, yep. and it's like a fucking party. Sure. Um, and it is doing the same sort of clever lyrical thing. Um, so some sort of key lines from from those albums. This, the really famous single from that is You're So Last Summer. Um, famously had Flavor Flav in the video, but uh, yeah, that lyric- If you say so. <laughs> This, this, well, and this was a whole thing, which I'll get to in a second. Um, the sort of key lyric from that is the truth is you could slit my throat and with my one last gasping breath, I'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt. 
Is okay. What year was did this come out? Two thousand two. Two thousand and two. Okay. Uh-huh. So um there's that. And then there's there's no I in team, and that's the song that's responding to seventy times seven. So here are the lyrics and here are how they sort of repeat them and twist them. Um, is that what you call tact? I swear you're subtle as a brick in the small of my back. So let's end this call and end this conversation. Um, and then there's some other sort of call and response. And then he says, um, best friends means I best friends before was best friends means friends forever. Now yeah. this end, the song ends by saying best friends means I pull the trigger. Best friends means you get what you deserve. <laughs> Cool. Which is another thing with this Taking Back Sunday album is that they talk about guns like all of the time. And I just feel certain that like none of them have ever shot a gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so when so when is this coming out in relation to your favorite weapon? Which one which is that? one year later. So your favorite oh, okay. weapon, two thousand one. Tell all your yeah. friends two thousand two. I don't have right. the 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 months, but um yeah. The other thing I want to say about Taking Back Sunday is I think Head Club is the last song on this album. And um it is the 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 thing that everybody the thing that um there's a there's a chorus at the end where every band member is singing the same line over and over again. They're saying in a in a cor- like in a round robin, don't call my name out your window, I'm leaving. The last person to sing on this song is not Adam Lazera, the lead singer. It's John Nolan. And okay. John Nolan left after this album. Okay. So he sings, Don't call your name out my window. Don't call your name out your window. I'm leaving. And then leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this song also has, I think, what is the most iconic line in any song that just of this era that just perfectly sums up what everybody's think what everybody is trying to sing about. And also comes up in brand new two more times in like different iterations, which is I can't say I blame you, but I wish that I could. I'm sick of writing every song about you. <laughs> and when he's singing this in the album, he um, draws it out. And that's when this like round robin of don't call your name out your window, I'm leaving comes in. And Adam Lazara singing on top of it saying, I'm sick of writing every song. I'm sick of writing every song about you. Okay. Um, so that's 2002. 2003, Deja and Tendu comes out. Yes. And something has happened. Yeah. I'm I'm 13, you're 14. Yes. Presumably. I didn't didn't get this album until – so I didn't start listening to these bands until I was 14 and a half, 15. Yeah. I got Deja and Tendu. I remember exactly where I got it. Um, I was 15. I was – or sorry – I take that back. I was 14, but it was like two months before I turned 15. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in um, – it, but it was 2004 and I was – no, no. You're right. It was 2003. So I guess I get – I guess I did get it the year it came out. Cool. I got it between the summer of eighth grade and ninth grade. I was in uh, Atlanta yeah. with my aunt. We had stopped at some outlets and – uh, I saw it on the shelf and I was like, I feel like I've heard this band is good. And so I mm-hmm. bought it. And before that, I had been listening exclusively to something corporate. <laughs> okay. Like when I say exclusively, I mean I would wake up in the morning, put on Leaving Through the Window onto my Walkman, the CD. I would mm-hmm. play it on repeat until I fell asleep, including and up to and including when I was falling asleep. 
Yeah. Um, and so, and I did this for about a year and a half. Um, so I get this album. Um, my aunt then also buys my uncle Mark this pair of shorts that have like crabs embroidered on them, which I didn't understand. But, um, Deja comes out and something shifted, right? So, so your favorite weapon, tell all your friends are both just like pure, pure emo. I would even say like pure angst. Yeah. There's a lot of like, uh, pettiness Mm -hmm. in the lyrics. (laughs) A lot of like twisting the knife. (laughs) Yes. Deja comes out and it's um it seems really self-aware. Mm. And I also remember that um it felt very um it felt very like Jesse Lisi hates this is what I just remember thinking the whole time. I just remember thinking Jesse Lacey knows what he means to us. And he never wanted this. It mm. felt so tongue-in-cheek to me, even mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so you get songs like – so first off, you get the first song is just is just the sort of short, beautiful sound sort of like ocean um, called Tatao, which is named after Audrey Tatao, the um, actress in Amelie, my favorite movie. And Ugh. it's just – can, can I tell you, I never knew that like – in all the years that I've known this album and been uh-huh. listening to that, like just like the K and the W at the beginning of radio stations, I, it's one of those things that I just never like. Oh, okay. until this I moment. Took, yeah, no, I yeah, I, like I never <laughs> thought to look it up. I was just like, okay, that's just a nonsense word to me. But like it, that's but also it's like all the all the songs on that album have, have titles really that long make titles. It, well, they they have titles that make it impossible to remember which song is which if oh. you're just looking at the track list. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're not me. Um So so if for that for that maybe for that reason I wouldn't like engage with the title like trying to interpret it. Like like years into listening to the album, I think somehow I became aware that one of the song titles is from Home Alone. It is? Yeah, isn't um, uh, okay? I believe you, but my Tommy gun don't. Okay, so That's... see, I know the name of that, but I didn't know that was from Home Alone. <laughs> okay, well, we're teaching each other things. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a hundred percent certain of this, but I bet somebody listening knows uh, that I'm right or that I'm wrong. Yeah, when I say that, I, I think that there's, you know, uh, in Home Alone. There's like a gangster movie on the TV that's like a fake movie. Mm-hmm. And and one of the gangsters says, okay, I believe you, but my Tommy gun don't. And then he starts firing. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And then also, just by the way, this this part of Home Alone is like in the zeitgeist again right now as we're recording this. Oh. Because uh, – and I know this because I just saw Detective Pikachu in the uh-huh. theater. <laughs> yeah. We're recording this a few days after it came out. Uh-huh. And um, there's a, a real a moment. Scene, yeah, there's a scene where the main character like walks into uh, an abandoned apartment and the TV is on. And what's on the TV is that fake movie from Home oh Alone. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> Which is such a weird choice. So, you know, this line, this actually, I really always took that title. And maybe I'm I'm still interpreting it that way. But now I just have this more information as like, in part, like. This album 
feels a lot like it mirrors the first album, except now mm. that it's except now it's like dealing with some of the same themes, but it just feels like it's very tongue in cheek about them now. Like, and that I sort of saw as being like, okay, they've talked a lot of you know. Adam Lazare talked about a lot of guns in his album. There's a mention of a gun in Your Favorite Weapon that I can't remember that's, like, also very dramatic. And this just felt sort of like, oh, okay, we're, we're still we're still talking about guns, but, like, so clearly we're being silly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So that song in particular I felt was, like, super, super tongue-in-cheek. Um, yeah. Where he starts and he says, I am heaven-sent. Don't you dare forget. I am all that you've ever, I'm all you've, I'm like grammatically fixing it. I am all that mm. you've ever wanted. I'm all you've ever wanted. What all the other boys I pro- all promised. That always felt to me like, um, like Jesse didn't believe it himself. This was my, this was like my favorite song. Yeah. At, it's a good at, one. At the time. Uh, my favorite song in the album. And I would say, one of my favorite songs in general mm-hmm. um having knowledge at the time of approximately 100 songs <laughs> in total yeah 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 um but yeah i i just yeah i loved uh those lyrics i loved that intro and i and i while i never would have described it as tongue in cheek necessarily i think mm-hmm. i was thinking kind of the same thing you were that like this is like funny on purpose yes but it's like it has that tone that I so adore in so much of my media where it's like something kind of funny, but it's played straight. Uh-huh. And so yes. it like tonally, it seems very serious, but the content is like kind of off. Yeah. Like when he says we're so controversial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it's funny. It's like, yeah, like playing a role. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a like a guise of being sexy yeah um i'm i'm i by the way the other if I line... see... go, go ahead. ahead oh boy if i seem distracted <laughs> it's because i was looking up okay i believe you but my tommy gun don't and and initial results are inconclusive but um <laughs> yeah okay yeah uh it looks like it's from home alone or home alone 2 or both Oh, okay. Maybe the sequel was in Home Alone 2. By the way, mm. I, uh, Will, I've never seen those movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I... Kenny has yelled at me about this. I've seen the... It's one of those movies... I don't think I've ever seen the second one. The first one is one of those movies that I know I've seen, but, you know, not in a very long time. And yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's the equivalent of my never having seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this song, too, before I move on to the next one, also has the first time that this line comes up again, which is, you know, this sort of this concept of like, I'm trying to stop you, but I can't. Like Mm -hmm. every song is about who I don't want to write about anymore. Or every line is about who I don't want to write about anymore. I'm sick of Mm -hmm. writing every song about you. Every line is about who I don't want to write about anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, A little bit softer, I think, in its delivery than the Taking Back Sunday version. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also I will play my game beneath the spin light where it just feels like he hates <laughs> he hates this uh, I've never felt so hollow I'm an old abandoned church with broken pews and empty aisles my secrets for a buck watch me as I cut myself wide open on the stage yes I am paid to spill my guts I won't see home till spring I would kill for the Atlantic but I will but I am paid to make girls panic while I sing 
And I just remember thinking, oh, God, he hates this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I always thought, like, I don't know. I, I don't know what I always thought because maybe I'm just rewriting history by right. – you know, projecting like what I think now onto what I thought then. But, uh-huh. but I, I think I kind of always had the sense that like, oh, like that's what it's like to be a touring, like a popular touring musician uh-huh. where like, yeah, like you would be homesick. And I, I don't know. I feel like for, for a long time, I've been aware of the narrative that like being a musician on tour like sucks and yeah. and, and everyone hates it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I know specifically. So I like I thought so I guess I thought I I thought like oh yeah like like he's he's got something to complain about but I I never thought that it was like unique to him as like a songwriter. Yeah. Yeah, I I just remember thinking, so I did see them, so I've seen them twice in concert. The first time was um, when I was a sophomore mm-hmm. and in college. And um, they play, so, so they played, um, they played mixtape at the end. And mm-hmm. I remember somebody yelled mixtape again. And Jesse Lacey was like, <sighs> Well, I guess we have to play it. And then they didn't play mixtape again. They played another song. But I just mm. remember thinking like – I just remember thinking – and we'll, we'll get to this in a little bit too where it just felt like Jesse Lacey was like, you know I'm older than mixtape now, right? Like mm. you know that we're way, way past mixtape. Um, but we'll we'll get to to how he had evolved. So very briefly um, to go back to Taking Back Sunday really quick – we then, in 2004, so again, in 2001, we get Your Favorite Weapon, 2002, Tell All Your Friends, 2003, Deja and Tendu, 2004, we get Where You Want to Be. So this is the year I went to Warp Tour and I saw Taking Back Sunday perform. John Nolan is no longer with the band. And this album is not um, terrible. It's not the sort of cohesive arc that Tell All Your Friends is. Mm. But it's a little bit weird. They're trying to grow, but they haven't sort of ha- they sort of they haven't done it as um, seamlessly as Brand New did between Your Favorite Weapon and Deja and Tendu. Um, they still have some of the call and response. They have a new backup singer. His name's Fred something. Hmm. Um, he had like an album later. He went solo. It was called like The Color Fred, which I just remember thinking was so stupid. Oh. <laughs> um, so they have this new – they have a couple tr- catchy hits. A Decade Under the Influence is pretty catchy. But this album is like um, tonally very similar. It hasn't really evolved very much. Mm. So a sort of key lyric here of like um, like where I'm like, oh, this wasn't – even at the time I was like, this isn't really great. Um, mm-hmm. He has this – there's a song where it says, go on, just say it. You need me You need me like a bad habit, one that leaves you defenseless, dependent, and alone. And by the end of the song, he's singing, I'll just say it. I need you defenseless, dependent, and alone. And there's this, like, theme that was sort of more nuanced in Tell All Your Friends of, like, the sort of like not power struggle exactly but like the balance of power and who has the power and it Mm. of course was still favored toward the men but there was something because it was a lot of power between the men that was a little bit more nuanced and at this point it just sounds it's just sort of like i want you to submit to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it gets worse so then we have that's all i'll say about where you want to be um, 
Then we have a break. And this break is sort of an eternity. It's 2006 Mm -hmm. before we get Taking Back Sunday's third album, Louder Now, and Brand New's third album, The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I say this is an eternity is because, you know, Deja and Tendu came out in 2003. I'm like barely in high school, if in high school at all. Um, Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me comes out in the fall. So I got this album my senior year. Mm-hmm. And kind of bookending your high school years. Yes. And we had just been waiting an eternity for this album to come out where they had yeah. like gone away. And there had been this other thing that had happened, which was that a bunch of the a bunch of tracks, 10 tracks, had leaked. They still mm. don't know how they got leaked. Um mm-hmm. they did re- release them sort of recently, which I'll talk about later, as a cassette. And these songs, um, some of them are my favorite songs and, um, mm. they were, um, you could really truly see the, the bridge between Deja and Devil in these songs. But what mm. happened was they got leaked before they were done. A few of them ended up on the album. A few of them, um, ended up as singles and some of them ended up as nothing until they were released as a whole set, um, many, mm. many years later. And, um, so we sort of got those. I personally wasn't like that on top of it on the internet. So I didn't know about those demos until I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Devil and God comes out and it is like the most like beautiful album. <laughs> it's interesting, really intense. It's really smart. The lyrics are um really about this struggle of being in limbo mm-hmm. um it's got these songs on it um really struggling with religion too so not just like am i good or am i bad but like how is that going to play out for me like in the end so to speak yeah. it has this song called limousine about a girl who um was hit by a drunk driver when she was in a limousine she was the flower girl in a wedding and mm-hmm. she was decapitated and this song will always make me cry um and with the exception of the last song, which Vin Cardi wrote, it's just this like beautiful song. It's this beautiful album. Here's my impression of that album. Mm-hmm. Um, I was because I was a fan. I was looking forward to that album. Yes. I remember I had a magazine. I don't remember what the magazine it was or why AP. I had it. It must have hmm? been AP. It must have been Alternative Press. Okay. Um, if you say so, I, I, I saw an ad for this album in uh-huh. the magazine, a full page ad, and I tore it out of the magazine and I put it up on my bedroom wall. Oh, bless you. <laughs> where it still hangs today. Oh, yes. You sent me a picture of it. Yes. My childhood bedroom in New York, not the bedroom I have now. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and, uh, so yeah, I was excited and then I got it. And today, my impression of that album is the first track is awesome Mm -hmm. and then the rest i cannot remember at all as many times as i've listened to it Uh maybe i i feel like i gave it a few chances because i was a fan and i like wanted to like it so i feel like i've given it a fair shake and like nothing nothing only one track which is the very first track has like stuck to my brain that's interesting i would i would say that um so I will also say, like, their albums vary enough that people, um, fans of Brand New feel pretty differently about them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which I think is like an, a cool, interesting way to be. Yes. If you have like, you know, your albums are distinct enough or for bands with musicians with a longer history, maybe if they like go through phases right. and it's like, oh, you can be a fan of one thing and less of another. And you could like, you know, two people could like debate about it. Like, I I, I think that's that's uh, interesting. And the other thing about this album that I would say is that um, while there are definitely people that feel different ways, there are some sort of general feelings, I would say, about the way people feel about these albums. And I would say that this album is pretty um, renowned as being pretty mm. solid as a whole, um, going mm. against your opinion. But I, I only yeah, bring that up. I only bring that up because like um, – and this this will come up later when I was talking to somebody specifically like – this this album was considered very um mature it was mm. um whereas the other albums as much as i loved them were definitely like again part of it was mm. tongue in cheek part of it was the fact that they were doing some like funny wordplay things um this album was considered like like musically um advanced compared to the other two like tonally sophisticated and the only song i don't like on it is handcuffs the last song and that's because vinicardi wrote it um, Vin would go on to write a lot of songs in the next album, and I just hate, I hate his songwriting. Um, so, okay. So we get that. And then in the same year, we get Louder Now. So this is where we're going to split up with Taking Back Sunday. Um, but it's worthwhile to mention, um, uh, this terrible, terrible lyric in, <laughs> louder now's single so i would say that like there's their main single on this album is make damn sure and this is a song that i would say is like maybe their most popular song like i think that this is the song i was looking at spotify on this and like cute without the e is like the number one played song but i think if you're looking at like you know the songs that got like airplay outside of like the very niche like punk rock market mm -hmm. This yeah. is the song. Like when I was watching Degrassi, um, maybe a future podcast episode, the sure. Canadian teen drama that um, Aubrey Drake Graham started on, mm -hmm. um, there was an episode where Taking Back Sunday shows up and <laughs> and Craig, the one like character who like plays guitar is like, I do a really great cover of Make Damn Sure. And Adam Lazare is like, oh, cool, man. I'd like to hear that. Which would never <laughs> – Sure. Like, can you imagine going up to the person you love and being like, you know, I do a really good cover of your song. Do you want to mm -hmm. hear your my version of your song? No. Yeah. The answer is no. The answer is never. Like maybe <laughs> on YouTube, but not in person. Right. So these are the lyrics for Make Damn Sure. So the chorus is, I just want to break you down so badly. Well, I trip over everything you say. I just want to break you down so badly in the worst way. Mm -hmm. Um. And then by the end of the song, this transforms into, I'm going to make damn sure that you can't ever leave. No, you won't ever get too far from me. You won't ever get too far from me. He repeats that another time and then says, I just want to break you down so badly. So again, in earlier albums, I felt like there was some nuance or at least some other things going on that said like, okay maybe like tell all your friends is really androcentric but there's a lot of other things happening and it's definitely capturing a moment like it's definitely capturing a moment in the music scene make damn sure is just like a textbook description of an abusive relationship mm -hmm. like 
I want to break you down in the worst yeah. way so you can't leave me. Right. It's yeah, just from like the, from the abuser's perspective. Yes. <laughs> it's just like really fucked up. Mm-hmm. And I never liked the song. And and I want to say too, like so much of this music from this time period is like this. I was listening to um in preparing for this, the song Curse of Curves by Cute is What We Aim For. Sure. You know the song? No, I don't know the song, but I've heard the band. Yeah, so this song was not a song that I ever cared about when it was actually like a song, but mm-hmm. it's a song that it shows up on lists a lot of like, sure. you know, mid-aughts, pop punk or whatever. Yeah. The <laughs> the whole premise of that song is like I've been given the gift of wit and mm-hmm. you've got the curse of curves. Yeah. Basically like I'm a man and I've yes. been given a present which is my intelligence and right. you've been cursed with having a body and yep. your body is screaming to me that I should touch you. And mm-hmm. now I have, but it's like so hard for me to like want to be with you because you're just so dumb. It's like mm-hmm. so offensive. Yeah. But it's like, it's almost not even worth talking about except to say that like Brand New got away from that. Okay. And when Brand New was talking about struggle, they were talking about struggle in a way where they were very self-aware that they were flawed. Uh, um, so that's, are, yes. Are we approaching part two? Yes. So the next sort of things that happen here are, you know, because this, this, don't make fun of me. No, no, I'm not. Oh, no, no. I, this, is, just... this is part two. This is part two. Okay. I was uh, just checking in. So the first part was the premise. Oh, maybe that was the oh. introduction and this is part one. And then we're going to I feel to like there two. was a preamble to an introduction. Okay. So I guess, I guess there was, okay. These are, these are my thoughts. So me explaining the allegations of my father-in-law having a stroke, that was the first section, whatever part one preamble, whatever. This timeline. There was a preamble to that, but go on. But that was just us talking. Okay. <laughs> so, so, okay. So what happens after this? So, um, uh, in 2009, my sophomore year, we get Daisy. Again, this is an album that's like really distorted. I don't love it. Um, I don't love it largely because Vinna Cardi wrote a lot of the lyrics and I don't like his lyrics. Um, one of the songs on that album is called Gasoline and the lyrics are like, um, oh my God. It's like you tried to put out, like you, th- like you, there was a fire and you tried to put it out with gasoline. Um, Okay, here. So you tried to put a fire out, but you used gasoline. And I just remember thinking, that's so dumb. <laughs> like, I hate it. And, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I listen to things that are distorted. Like, I don't care about that. But, um, I just could never get into that album. And I would say that that is the general feeling of a lot of people. Sure. Some people like some of the songs on that album. I just can't listen to it. And I've tried. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I just don't think it's particularly um interesting and i really the lyrics really put up a big wall for me Mm -hmm. so then we don't get anything um for years after that and um we sort of think that brand new is over Mm -hmm. in 2015 we get a single called mean called m-e-n-e uh this is a song um that feels like punk rock all over again and everybody's thrilled in 2016 Mm. we get a song called i am a nightmare the chorus of which is, um, I am a nightmare and you are a miracle. And I realized later that this is about, this is, um, Jesse Lacey's married now and his wife is pregnant and she gives birth, um, 
to Jesus Christ to to, <laughs> to Bowie. Her name's Bowie. She died. She was born the day after David Bowie died. Oh, okay. Probably um, not a coincidence. Yes. Um, and you know this song is also just feels like like warm and it again is dealing with the struggle of like how am I this totally flawed human going to love you this perfect little thing because babies are perfect they haven't done anything yet they haven't lived their lives um and it's just like a really great song and then we get the demos are released some of them are remastered that summer um of 2016 I am seven and a half months pregnant and I see them in concert uh, with Modest Mouse. Um, They play a lot of these. They play all these songs. Um, It's great. Uh, It's a little – I have to leave before Modest Mouse because um, there were people smoking various substances around me even though there was supposed to be no smoking at all in this arena. Uh And that seemed like um, not great for me. As a pregnant lady. Yeah. <clears throat> but at this show, I wore a shirt, and I'm, again, seven and a half months pregnant, that says, I am a nightmare with an arrow pointing at my head, and you are a miracle with an arrow pointing at my big old tummy. Mm. Um, homemade and then, shirt. Yes. Oh, yeah, very homemade. With Sharpie, like, the day before. It felt, I mean, it felt like I was going home, right? It felt like this is what I did in high school. I made shirts mm. with Sharpie, and I wore them. Yes. Um and then in in um the fall of 2017 we get science fiction and it's this album that really feels like a conglomeration of all their al- other albums. Um uh, that line comes up again. Um right? So we have yeah. um a song now where he's saying and every song is about you. Okay. Um and then it's November tenth. Uh, okay. So, so sorry, sorry. That album comes out how soon before? Like two months. Okay. I think it came out. I actually don't know why I don't have this written down. But um, and and just to catch you up to speed with my experience of this August discography, uh, I had. The, I think the same experience with Daisy that you did, except uh-huh. I wasn't really aware that there was someone different writing the songs. Mm-hmm. I just think that I heard it, didn't like it, and didn't really revisit it at all. And uh, now science fiction, I don't think that I've listened to it at all. I was, I'm not sure I was aware that it existed. Oh, yeah. it It exists. Um, and the thing <laughs> okay. that sucks is like it's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I will say, it never um, worked on my iPod, which I I lost my iPod, <laughs> which I don't want to talk about this right now. So okay, I didn't bring it up. <laughs> but I like downloaded it and I put it on my iPod, and I would try to play it on my iPod, and it would um, glitch is- out. And shut down the music app. This is you not wanting to talk about it? I don't want to talk about how I lost my iPod because oh, I think oh, it was sorry. maybe I stolen. Mis- I misunderstood you. Yeah, you've told me that off mic. Go yeah, on, please. Yeah, I'm, I'm still really upset about it. Don't listen to me. <laughs> but um, 
it never worked. So I would listen to it like I it was like the one album I had on my phone, and so I'd listen to it at work on my uh, phone. But I've never listened to this album in my car, which uh, feels like something missing there. Um, okay, so then we get to the accusations, and then mm-hmm. um, which I've already described. They're fucking terrible. But then Jesse Lacey apologizes. Yeah. Um, and. Oh, where, why isn't it loading? Okay, I'm going to bring up his apology again, um, because I'd like to read it, um, because I think that it's worthwhile, because when somebody apologizes in these situations, I feel like there's, um, sort of two main apologies that we get, right? Or two main situations that happen. So somebody's accused of sexual misconduct, of rape, whatever, and they either deny Yes. This didn't happen. They have some sort of vague apology that's like, um, I'm, that is sort of a, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. That's, I feel like, what Aziz Ansari's apology was when there was the Aziz Ansari controversy. Yes. Um, Jesse Lacey says this. So he says, sorry, were those the two? Yes. You said that one is denial and one is like a non-apology. Sorry you feel that way. Or something that's so vague that it's like a non-apology. Like a sorry okay. you feel that way or a so I'm, sorry, are, I'm sorry if I hurt the, anybody in general, but like I'm not saying that I actually did anything wrong. Those are the two typical responses. Yes. Is what you were trying to say. Okay. And this is the this is the third option, I think. Okay. Um, But I feel like I can't think of another time that I've gotten – okay, so – I feel the- I feel like I don't know what you're going to say, but I, I thought you were going to say that the most common thing that we see is uh, I know I did something wrong. I've been bad. I can be better. I need time to work on myself. Goodbye for now. I feel like I I mean, maybe that's true, and maybe I'm not doing a good job of, like, scanning the field here, but I feel like I don't even see that that often. I think I don't – I haven't – Maybe, been, like, Louis C.K. had That's what I was thinking of, yes. Yeah, I was I was thinking of Louis. I haven't paid too close attention, but I I think I looked at Louis, and I think I saw some, re- some reaction to Louis, and I guess I got the impression that that was typical. Mm-hmm. I would but say maybe that- it's not. I feel like that. So, I mean, if you look at somebody like Kevin Spacey, you're talking. Yes, you're. you're yes, I see. You're. I'm coming. I'm coming around to what you're saying. More, more common is the you know uh, dodging and the lack of accountability. Yeah. Um. So this is what Jesse Lacey said. So he yes. says, like, I need to address it. Yep. And he says the actions of my past have this caused. Is, and just real quick, this is like a written statement. This is a written statement that they posted on their Facebook page. It's uh-huh. on the brand new Facebook page, but it's signed Jesse Lacey. Okay. Um, and this happened on November 11th, 2017. So this happened, like he posted this the day after. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe the allegations, let me take this back. The allegations might have come out slightly before November 10th. November okay. 10th was when I read them. Right. Okay. So he says, the actions of my past have caused pain and harm to a number of people, and I want to say that I am absolutely sorry. I do not stand in defense of myself, nor do I forgive myself. I was selfish, narcissistic, and insensitive in my past, and there are a number of people who have had to shoulder the burden of my failures. 
I apologize for the hurt I have caused, and I hope to be able to take correct actions to earn forgiveness and trust. Early on in my life, I developed a dependent and addictive relationship with sex. I was scared of it, ashamed, and unwilling or unable to admit it, and so it grew into a consistent and terrible problem. Years ago, after admitting my habits and cheating on my then-soon-to-be wife, I began to approach my problem in a serious way. I entered professional treatment, both in group therapy and individual counseling, and revealed the realities of what a terrible place I had gotten to in my life and what a terrible impact my actions had on people. Lust, sex, love, and arousal were coping tools for me, and I returned to them repeatedly. I detached my own feelings and emotions from most of my sexual interactions. I hid or lied about my behaviors to escape reproach. I was a habitual cheater. I have been unfaithful in many, if not most, of my relationships, including the relationship with my wife, who has, with all of her might, patience, and grace, tried to hold our marriage together, despite having to endure the pain of the revelations of my past. It's heart-wrenching that the most important changes in my life have come at the expense of others. I'm sorry for how I've hurt people, mistreated them, lied, and cheated. I'm sorry for ignoring the way in which my position, status, and power as a member of a band affected the pe- affected the way the people viewed me or their approach, their interactions with me. And I'm sorry for how often I have not afforded women the respect, support, or honesty that they deserved, which is their right. I believe in the equality and autonomy of all, but in my life, I have been more of a detriment to these ideals than an advocate. I am working to shed all of my narcissism and self-obsession and to be better. In sobriety, I have changed my life and my mind in real and important ways. I have also revealed the truth of my behaviors to myself and to others. I do not have words to express the patience and help my wife has offered me. I love my family with an intensity and realness that I have never felt before, and as a husband and father, I have been granted the opportunity to wake up each day with the intent to serve my family and the people around me and to feel for the first time that I have a purpose. The fact remains that none of us get to put up a wall between who we were who we are and who we were. I need to earn forgiveness. Concepts like repentance, compassion, and love are made real through actions, and it's through my actions that I need to prove change. I hope that I can show humility and that the pain I have ca- and the pain that I have caused people can heal. I am not above reproach, and no one should be. That's like, I know I said it was a good apology later, and this is what I mean by that. He admits that he did the things that people are accusing him of. He doesn't say, like, I jerked off in front of people on Skype. But he says, like, He doesn't very ex- deny anything. He doesn't deny anything. and he very Certainly ex- the implication is that he is owning up to what he's been accused of. And he explicitly does say that he was interacting with sex in a way that was not helpful to himself and definitely not uh, healthy with other people. Yeah, and he also says he was ashamed to admit it. Uh-huh. Which uh kind of makes me scoff a little bit cuz it makes me think like, uh <laughs> I just listened to your song lyrics and <laughs> like I got the <laughs> I got the message. <laughs> like Well, and so you admitted I mean, it. <laughs> right, right. Um he also says he also says like I mean the other thing here is that like these allegations came forward at a time, but he also has sort of already been taking actions to correct them. Mm-hmm. Um, and But he also says, like, I know that this will never be enough. Mm-hmm. I know that I have a lot of things that I need to do to be a better person. And um, I know that just because I'm trying to be a better person now, it doesn't change what I did in the past. And I'm not trying to make it change what I did in the past in a way that makes me above reproach. Right. Um, and 
and if we're looking at this in terms of like like from a point of rhetoric, mm-hmm. I think this is the best apology I've ever read. Now again, sure. does not change anything he did, does not change the hurt that was caused, does not change any of that. But this sort of brings me to my first big question. Okay. With what do we do with brand new? Mm-hmm. What do we want from Jesse Lacey? Okay. And here's why I'm asking this question. And I don't – I think it's a little dicey get to get into this territory, but I'm going to compare him to another person who – because I don't think comparison is useful in a lot of cases. Sure. But I'm going to compare him to Larry Nasser. Larry Nasser like, raped hundreds of women and underage girls, and he's going to be in prison forever. I'm not sure that there's a way that he can ever redeem himself. I'm not sure what – that Jesse Lacey is now living a life where his life has no meaning. Right? So I don't think, I think Jesse Lacey is in a position right now because what's the extreme here? Like, what's the extreme form of justice here? Okay, he kills himself. Jesse Lacey doesn't exist anymore. I don't think that's the answer, right? No, I I, uh, never think that that's the answer so yeah there we go so i don't think that's the answer um but so what does he do with his time now like what is he supposed to do and what do we want him to do and i think that this is a question that we don't ever really get good answers for um because it's not my job to forgive jesse lacy because he didn't have these interactions with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like we also don't have any models for if somebody has done something terrible like this. And it's not a situation where there's like a legal involvement. So what he did, mm-hmm. let's even say that what he did was illegal because there were minors involved. Yep. Um. It seems like there's not going to be legal action against him where he's going to do something like go to prison. So the justice system in that sense is not a route here. Mm-hmm. So he instead, he's being tried in the court of public opinion. Yes. As they say. And on the one extreme, we don't want him to kill himself. We don't think that's useful. We've agreed on this. We've agreed on that. So then there has to be something that happens with him being alive. And so the question is, what do we want from him? And I don't have a great answer for this question. <laughs> um, but I think it's worthwhile to ask because okay. um, a lot of times we don't get to this question because the thing happens and the person denies it. So the first thing that we right. want is for the person to admit it. Oh, well, we got that this time. Okay, yeah. Normally we don't get what we want, but... Yes, in this case, we've gotten that. Yes, we've also gotten not a non-apology. Right. We've gotten an actual admission that he's done something. Some real accountability, not in the legal sense, but mm-hmm. in the moral reckoning sort of sense. Yes. Um. I mean, I think it would probably... So the other thing I will say is that I do follow his wife on Instagram. Um, okay. Her name's Andrea King Lacey. She is a delightful seamstress. She does a lot of really beautiful tailoring work. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the internet, so I don't know. Um, but it seems like they have a pretty equitable relationship at this point in time. They seem mm-hmm. like they split up the child care. She has a child from a previous relationship, um, okay. as well as Bowie. And, um, they, it seems like he is truly working to, in that relationship, provide joy and light to the people in his family. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, he could give money, right? So he could give money to, like, Rain, the Rape and Incest National Network. Sure. But clearly he can't tell us about that. Right. Because if he did, that wouldn't actually be doing anything. But that leaves us here still asking the question, what do we do with Brand New? (laughs) And this sort of segues – Yeah, but that – yeah, that's different. And so this sort of segues into the second big question. Okay. And I'm, and I also, I'm, I don't think that there's a satisfying answer to the first one, but I think it's worth asking because I think that with cancel culture, I think that with cancel culture, we just get this idea of like, they did a thing, they're gone forever, but they're not really gone forever because they still are alive. Can, so like, can I get, what, can what I do just, we want to happen? Can I just, can I, can I, you asked the question like what do we want him to do from here where yeah. you know where does he go from here what do we, for for our benefit for our sake mm-hmm. and to me the answer as it is with a lot of these people is to me i think the answer is pretty clear cut which is like um live your life i don't want to see or hear from you again and that's that that might what's, be what's uh, what is unsatisfying to you about that answer um, because I think that something that we, I think that some people say that, but I think that other people say what we, what I really want is accountability. Uh huh. And I think that I hear a lot of people talk about accountability, but then don't actually give, um, concrete examples of what yeah. that accountability. And I'm not saying this in defense of Jesse Lacey right. at all. I'm just yep. saying that like, if there are people that have made mistakes and some are more egregious than others, I want right. to know, like, I want there to be, I'm so, I'm just very pragmatic. And I would like to know once we have moved through the rage and the tumult and the whatever, because the other thing is that, and this also sort of segues into the question is like, part of the problem with this is that we don't want these people to still have power and we don't want them to still be making money. Yeah, okay. Um or at least not huge amounts of money, right? Sure. Yeah, they we don't want them to be yeah, powerful and and su- so successful that they are powerful. So like when Kevin Spacey was um you know, accused by Anthony Rap Anthony Rap, just Rap. Uh of rent fame and, and, um, I think Star Trek Discovery now. Um, you know, he was doing that because he felt like Kevin Spacey was still doing the things that he had done to him when he was 15. Mm. And he, um, was like, I just can't. He was like, I wasn't, I actually didn't, he actually, I was, he had a, was on an episode of Query and he was like, I didn't think that what I was going to do was going to be enough. Um, and it was enough in the sense that, House of Cards, he was kicked off of House of Cards. They rewrote the final season without him. 
And now he's, you they know. They recast his part in, uh, what was that movie called? Oh, yeah. I forget, all, but I know what you're talking All the about. Money in the World. Is that yeah, what it's called? something like that. Something like that. They recast him in that. Um, and so, yeah, now he's not being given access to people that he can abuse because he has all of this power and he's also not making all of this money. Right. Um, and I feel like that's not exactly what's happening with Jesse Lacey. Um, because Jesse Lacey, they were already sort of breaking up, like brand new was supposed to break up in 2018. That mm-hmm. was like something that they had been hinting at. They had shirts that said like 2000 to 2018. Okay. Um, so in some ways, like it was already wrapping up. Yeah. And so like Jesse Lacey going away was already kind of happening. So I don't really think that that's like a satisfying answer to me. Okay. Like, I want us to have more actionable items than just fade into the distance. Yeah. And I think the dilemma, which I think you've already alluded to and identified, is that um, any action that he could take from Mm -hmm. this point on, if we know about it, then it's – cheapened because it could be just for the sake of his reputation absolutely so for for that reason my my and my opinion does not matter to this conversation (laughs) but unfortunately it is a conversation between me Mm -hmm. uh, and and you uh Mm -hmm. more fortunately uh 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 yeah my, my my opinion is is in the absence of you know any legal definition of accountability accountability is like releasing that statement that he made Mm -hmm. and then not and then not uh you know having uh you know not being a public figure anymore Mm -hmm. and any any action that he takes that could be you know for the benefit of you know survivors or or you know any you know any charitable cause uh, it ought, ought to be done in private and it's mm-hmm. not any of my business. So this brings me then to uh, my second big question, finally. Right. Um, and, and I hope that I, that's not a totally satisfying answer to me, but I think it could be to many people. So thank you uh, for saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, the second question is, what do I do with brand new? Yeah. And so this brings me to... Okay, how do I want to start this? When I was 18 and Devil and God came out, I know exactly – well, I know exactly the day it came out because it's on the internet. But <laughs> I also know that it was the day that I broke up with my boyfriend, Josh. Mm-hmm. And the reason I broke up with my boyfriend, Josh, is because I wasn't falling in love with him. Um, I really liked him and I loved him very deeply. But I uh, was not getting some sort of spark. And I had been on and off with this guy, Jeremy, who I'm still very good friends with. He was um, in my wedding. Um, and there was a line in De Gausser, which was, take me, take me back to your bed. I love you so much that it hurts my head. I don't mind you under my skin. I'll let the bad parts in, the bad parts in. And I've been listening to the song over and over again on MySpace. And I just remember thinking – you know, I don't need to be in a relationship where I'm not really feeling anything mm-hmm. as an 18-year-old. I want to, f- like, I want to feel something. And 
I think that means I need to feel something with Jeremy, who is uh, not good and not healthy for me and the bad parts, um, even though it hurts my head. And I remember Josh, bless him. He's such a good person. Drove me to Best Buy. We bought the CD. I was listening to it and I couldn't take it anymore. I broke up with him. So I then find myself in the worst month of my life. And I can't downplay how truly terrible the month that my father-in-law was in a coma. Uh-huh. Um, it, uh, it was unexpected. Um, we were trying to work. Um, we had just come off the heels of Elliot having open heart surgery. So we thought things were slowing down and they weren't slowing down. Um, we, um, were driving back and forth between here and Moscow, Pennsylvania, which is a four hour drive. Mm -hmm. Um, the first two weeks, uh, we were waiting to see if he was maybe going to wake up again, but the whole time knowing that, um, if he did, he probably wouldn't want to be alive anyway. And that was a big thing. He had said to us, if I can't ride my bike, meaning his motorcycle, that he didn't want to be alive. And it was definitely clear that he was never going to be able to ride his motorcycle again. Um, and then you, we took him off of life support. And when people are like, like really old or really sick and you take them off life support, it doesn't take that long for them to die. Sure. Bob was healthy, and which is ironic, right? So, like, he oh. he had the stroke, and that uh, was not healthy. But he right. was strong. He was a lawn care person. He, has, he was a, a, a business owner. He owned his own lawn care business, so he was really uh, strong. He had yeah. a lot of muscle. He had, you know, he had some fat on him, but not, like, um, so much that it was a detriment. Mm-hmm. And so then for two weeks, for two weeks, we had to watch his body eat itself until his organs shut down. And I was, you know, Kenny is, of course, devastated. His mom, my mother-in-law, is all over the place. And who wouldn't be? Everyone else around me is flipping out. My grief feels tertiary at best, quaternary, um, Mm -hmm. if you consider his sisters that were also grieving in this Uh time period. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm also taking care of this small human who is a delight but has no idea what's going on yeah. and is a small like, – can barely talk even less than he can now and is just running all over the place. And all I want to do is listen to Brand New. And like clearly there are other um, bands that I could listen to but that's not who I listened to when I felt fucked up. When I felt fucked up, I listened to Brand New. Um, I did listen to a lot of A to B Life by Me Without You which gave a similar effect. Mm-hmm. But I just felt so guilty the entire time. And I didn't really say anything about it for a long time either because I felt like I was lying. I felt like what I had to do was get brand new out of my body because I wanted to respect the survivors and I believed them. And yet I now found myself in the same place that I found myself senior year of high school where I was making a decision so that I could feel something, even though I knew it wasn't the healthiest decision. And I've talked about this before about other things, other media. Um, but the thing about Brand New 2 is it wasn't like, oh, you know, okay, I never have to um, 
oh, what's a good example? Like, okay, I don't really need to like um, ever see Louis C.K. in a show ever again. Sure. Brand New was a band that I had listened to consistently for over 10 years. I had listened to their albums so many times that they felt like they were physically a part of my body. Like my experience of them was no longer just intellectual or emotional. It felt like physical. Mm -hmm. And I felt like in order to do justice to those people, I had to physically excise them from my body. And I, I was like, I just remember wanting, and this is why I felt so fucked up about it because I felt like I don't know how to do this thing that I need to do. And I'm selfish for not doing it. And I remember like wanting like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. <laughs> sure. Like I was like, just like, let me forget, like, let me forget all these times that these things mean things to me. Um, because even things like their demos, like their first song on their demo is called good man. They call it now that they've released it. And it has like the line in it that I feel like most sums up my whole high school experience that song says, um, so I wrote your name and burned it to see the color of the flame and it burned out the whole spectrum as if you were everything. Mine just burned gold, a normal flame. I am not anything. And all that I remember is the feeling of waking up. You were kids. We were kids. You were the sun to which my eyes could not adjust. That couplet, when we were kids, you were the sun to which my eyes could not adjust, is just like the wonder of being a, a, a young person falling in love, Either even if it's not like, you know, just like meeting people that finally are your people. And so I've really felt fucked up about it for a very long time. And then I saw uh, Hanif Abdurraqib at AWP. Mm-hmm. And Hanif, I, if you'll remember, I left um, – Dana's panel, your girl's panel, to go see his panel. I do. And I um, really wanted to see him. He wrote a book called They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us. And he writes about a lot of music, but he writes about a lot about punk rock. And he grew up, like, with Fall Out Boy. Mm-hmm. And I felt, even though his experience was very different than mine, it felt very parallel to mine. Um, I uh-huh. grew up going to shows at the Lower Paxton Youth Center, where which was a little building that I ran um, I helped run with my, um, friends where we had shows. And then we also, um, would go to the championship, uh, the champ, which was across the river. You've been to the championship. This is the part I said already in my former life. I'm Will. And yes, I have. <laughs> and we saw me without you there. Um, and I, um, just felt really seen by him. And so I, Hung around after the panel. There were a lot of people that he wa- that wanted to talk to him, and I wanted. I just felt like not important enough, and so I waited until they had all left. And when he came out, I had an in. I had posted a video of Elliot calling his book the Wolf Book and asking to read the Wolf Book. <laughs> Very cute. And so I brought that up, and we talked for a while. And I wasn't going to bring up brand new explicitly, but I was sort of hoping it would come up, and it did. And I said these things to him. I said, um, you know, I don't really know what to do. I'm going to be doing this podcast. And if anybody has ever met Hanif, um, you know that he's just like the warmest, nicest, kindest, smartest dude. And he was like, well, how, like, how deep were you in it? And I was like, he's like, I only really like devil and God. And I was like, oh, I was like, I, I'm, was deep in it and I am deep in it. And he said, um, 
And I said, I don't know what to do because I just feel like I have to, like, what am I supposed to do with these experiences? Like, I feel like they're in my body. And he looked at me and he said, he said, you don't have to worry about that. That happened and they're there. And that's not what you have to worry about. What a fucking relief, Will. Yeah. I. I could have told you that. Well, you know, it's funny. You don't need a magical Hanif. (laughs) You know, it's funny the people that we go to for, um. For the people that you go to. Oh, Will. (laughs) Will Sorry, I'm just just teasing. (laughs) I'm sorry. But yeah, it's funny the people we go to for permission, right? And part of Mm -hmm. the reason I had gone to him is because he does a lot of um, Instagram like Q&As. And somebody had asked him about Brand New and his response had just been like, I don't fuck with Brand New. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah, and he's like, he's an authority on matters like these. Yeah. As a as a critic and an author and uh, a, a role model. So here's my oh good, and we're still within time as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh good. So here's my here's what I'm gonna do with brand new. Here's your conclusion. Yeah. The first thing is easy, so easy that it almost feels like a cop out, which is that I'm not gonna spend any more money on brand new. And the reason I say that's mm-hmm. so easy is because in many ways I've already spent my money on brand new. Like yes. They're, I don't think they're going to be putting anything else out. I don't think they're going to go on tour again. Um, I don't, so basically, you're not going to buy any new merch. I'm not going to buy any new merch. Um, hypothetically, I don't own your favorite weapon for complicated reasons that have to do mm. with iTunes and permissions, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm also going to, for the most part, not listen to them on things that would give them money, like Spotify. Uh-huh. There's a few exceptions to this. Um like I have a playlist of um, songs that I'll cover if I ever get terminally ill and convince people to be in a punk rock cover band with me. And I do have two brand new songs on that because that's like a more of a record keeping situation. Sure. Um, you could keep that record somewhere else though. Well, I could, but I need to practice. Okay. For when I become terminally ill and convince people sure. to be in a punk rock cover band with me as my dying wish. Um, also, I do know that Spotify gives people very, very little money. So I feel like yeah. that's not – it's sure. not like I'm exclusively listening to them on there. I yeah. guess is my point. I'm also not going to um, like post their lyrics places, okay. which is a thing I've done throughout my life. Yeah, uh, okay. Like on Twitter. Mm-hmm. For the most part – I say for the most part. The other day I was talking to our colleague, uh, writing colleague, Becca, about tattoos we're glad we didn't get when we were in high school. And she was talking about Fall Out Boy lyrics, and I brought up a few brand new lyrics. But sure. I'm not going to post them or champion them um, in a public forum. Yeah, you're not going to express yourself that way. Yes. Um, but I think that I privately am going to continue to listen to them. Yeah. And the reason for that is that if Jesse Lacey did one good thing, um, he provided me comfort. And other people too, but I'm not looking at other people right now. And if the one thing that he can act, that he can do is provide me with comfort, I'm lying to myself if I don't give that to me. Because, Mm -hmm. and this is what I was saying sort of about, like, needing to excise them from my body. Like, 
I could never listen to a brand new song again. And I could listen to them because they're so inside of my head. Like I can hear them. Mm-hmm. And so I don't see any reason to privately listen to those songs when I want to. Mm-hmm. And I also don't see any reason to feel fucking terrible when I listen to them. Right. Because I feel like I'm betraying somebody. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I will not do is teach Elliot about Brand New. Okay, yeah. And say, this is my favorite band. Right. Or my, you know, one of my top three favorite yeah. bands. Find, I will find say, some good role models. Yes. I will say, hey, this is what happened with Brand New. Yeah. Um, And that does feel like a loss for me in the sense mm-hmm. that I... That's like was a big part of my life, and I want him to know about my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's a loss that is very easy for me to take on mm-hmm. to support and respect the people who were affected by Jesse Lacey's actions. Yep. Um, and I think I just am going to think of them as like a true guilty pleasure. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Like, when I was a teenager, I used to go... Panic! at the Disco came out, and I was hanging out with people who were very pretentious about music. Yeah. And, like, my friend Abby at the time, by senior year, was, like, listening to noise. Like, the genre, yeah. noise. Sure. And I was like, holy shit, melodies aren't even cool anymore. Like, I just yeah. couldn't keep up. Yeah. And then Panic! at the Disco came out, comes out, and that album's great. It's so fun. And at the time, like, I felt like I couldn't own it because I didn't want anybody to see that I had paid money for it. Sure. And so I would go to my friend Kelsey's house, who was two years younger than me, and I would lie on her floor with her, and we would listen to Panic! at the Disco on her boombox. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was like, it's a guilty pleasure. That's not a guilty pleasure. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a pleasure you're ashamed of because yes. of pe- peer pressure. <laughs> but I think that Brand New is my guilty pleasure, not, yeah. not because... I'm a bad person for having good experiences with them. Um, but because I know that I can't ever champion them the way I used to. And also mm-hmm. because um, I'm always going to feel like maybe I should have known better. Mm, yeah. And I couldn't have. Mm-hmm. And you can say what was in the lyrics. And this is where, like, you you know, separate the art from the artist. Well, here you clearly cannot. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a useful way to think about things anyway. But, um but that's what I'm going to do with brand new. I think that's a perfectly reasonable conclusion. Um, do you want to hear the conclusion that I came to today? Yeah. So I revisited Deja and Tendu this morning, which I hadn't listened to in a while, but I have held on a pedestal for a long time. Mm-hmm. So in case I haven't been clear, like basically my whole relationship with this band it is 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 synonymous with my relationship with that one album right uh and uh i re-listened to it this morning and i i was specifically thinking of it through the lens of something that i wanted to sidetrack your episode this episode with mm-hmm. um <laughs> which is uh the question of desert island discs Mm. that is the the five albums that you would take to the mm-hmm. desert island where you'll be stranded for the rest of your life and that's all you'll have to listen to and i have and i think of 
things like this because uh of who you you are as a person like exactly yeah like liz knows (laughs) this and 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 uh uh uh, gosling who has listened to uh multiple episodes of the podcast would know that like yeah i have a a uh brain that gravitates towards uh lists and ranking things and like declaring what my favorites are and so, yeah, uh, when I thought of Desert Island Discs, I've sort of thought of like, well, Deja Intendu was a, a, a an album that I just wore out listening to like over mm-hmm. and over and over again at a formative time in my life. So like that might be one of the five. And so I listened to it this morning and the conclusion that I came to was the only significant value that it has to me today Mm -hmm. in 2019 when I am 29 years old is nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And generally, I think nostalgia is death. Mm -hmm. And I said death with an F, right? I said death with a TH. Oh, God. I'm glad I asked. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm trying. I... I try not to uh, engage with uh, n- nostalgia too much. I, 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 so like, so like, I loved this album uh-huh. when I was like 13, 14, 15, or whatever. And like, I can't deny that. I won't forget about it. I can't do an eternal sunshine. I wouldn't, even if I could. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have to acknowledge that like that was me then and that Mm -hmm. was me once and I'm I'm the person who grew out of that person and they're the they are one and the same Uh, so I have to look that in the face but at the same time as I have to acknowledge it I don't have to resurrect it Mm. and like relive it and like indulge it and like celebrate it yeah (laughs) um so I I'm definitely not taking that album to the desert island and I probably won't listen to it very much in the future. Mm-hmm. After hearing you talk in this episode, I may revisit the devil and God are raging inside me mm-hmm. just to see if it sticks more than it used to, because you say it's uh, more of a masterpiece than I was giving credit. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but besides that, I'm like basically done with this thing that I was really into at one time. Yeah. I really respect that you can feel that way about your past selves. I feel part part of the reason I I talk about the sort of like physical like manifestation of this stuff in my body is that I feel like every version of myself at once. Mm. So certainly there's nostalgia here for me. Yeah. Um but it's not nostalgia it's it's nostalgia because that's the word I've been given. Uh yeah. Really but, it's just me re-experiencing a version of myself that I'm not actively taking part in at the time. And I will tell you my theory for why we are different in this way. Uh-huh. And and a different theory which is separate which is I there is some truth to like I think that it's gendered mm-hmm. but more importantly to me I think that you have hung on to relationships with other people uh mm. much more than I have I've really fucking tried to though I mean you yes. know read my upcoming essay about how I've failed at that right <laughs> so I have uh left a lot of 
relationships that were very meaningful to me mm-hmm. at one time in the past and I like don't keep in touch with those people. Yeah. And like I don't have them reminding me of like what it was like, you know, when we were best friends or whatever. And so like I feel I, I I'm just like I'm I, I'm just like very like in the present most mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah, that's fair. And, and I feel a sort of serious dis- disconnect from like my past selves. Mm-hmm. Even though sometimes I have to admit that like oh uh, like when like when I'm not feeling so great about myself, I'm thinking like oh, I'm like just like acting like just like I always did when I was mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, you know, uh uh not the best version of myself. But Yeah, um, I know too, I will say that um there are certain time periods in my life that I don't have contact with a lot of people. Uh-huh. Um like the LPYC days, I don't really talk to a lot of those people anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, either because they stopped talking to me or they, um, I, there's one person in particular that I went out of my way to stop talking to, um, or they've just, um, faded. And I have been feeling a real vacancy from that recently, hmm. um, where I feel like I have a bunch of memories and I, it almost is starting to feel like I made them up. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I get that feeling sometimes too. And it's it's fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And w- and remind me what L piece. Sorry, um, the Laura Paxton Youth Center. That was the place oh, where I right. in high school um ran sh- ran shows. I was the secretary. Ah uh, yes. Okay. So uh, real quick, because uh, I know that everyone who heard what I just said a few minutes ago must be wondering. Yes. What are uh, your five albums? The Desert Island Discs, as they stand today, May 14th, 2019, are number one, The Crane Wife by The Decemberists, mm-hmm. number two, The Con by Tegan and Sarah, mm-hmm. number three, High Violet by The National. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Number four, uh, The Suburbs by Arcade Fire. Ooh, uh-huh. And, and number five, Fantasies by Metric. Oh, okay. I would say that my five are... um. In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Oh, damn it. <laughs> by Neutral Milk Hotel. <laughs> yeah. Cut cut Fantasies by Metric. <laughs> That's on mine, too. Um, Maybe we could share a deserted island. Yeah. Um, tell all your friends. <laughs> okay. I'm telling – the album is perfect. I mean, okay. it's, it's perfect in the moment. I'm not saying it's uh, – uh, it, it does its purpose exactly uh, the way it's supposed to. Okay. Um, hi, Violet. Also, oh, nice. Um, I w- I'm I'm actually surprised that we share that one. Yeah. Oh, that I, album. I th- yeah, that album's pristine. I thought um, that yours would be Boxer. Oh, I love I love all of. Well, yeah, I love most of their albums, but no, High Violet is is the one that they really tore mm. me apart with. Cool. Um, probably Devil and God. Hmm. And I just actually asked people on Instagram what like perfect albums there were. Um, and a fifth one that I can't decide on at the moment. That's fine. I sprung <laughs> it on you. Yes. This was not part of your rehearsal because yes. unfortunately I wasn't there. Yeah. I'll say, uh, yeah, I'll send you that, that demo reel where I talk to you yeah. as if you are there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Um, Will, thank you so much for listening yeah. to me and for letting me get through this this subject, which has 
maybe I can stop feeling so terrible now. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. And I hope you don't mind me saying that I'm glad you got through it and got through it without crying. <laughs> I know. I was really thought I was going to cry. Yeah. I, I appreciate you. I mean, if we want to listen to Limousine, I can cry. <laughs> mm, maybe some other time. One last night to be your mother. Maybe when we are on on day 30 on the deserted island. <laughs> uh, do we both get to bring five albums? If we're sharing, then yes. Okay. But, so I should choose different ones than you so we have a I, more diverse playlist. Right. Yes. But if I am truly picking my own five and I'm going to be alone and those are the only five I'll have access to, yes, absolutely in the Aeroplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel is absolutely on that list. It's probably third on the list if I'm ranking them. It's it's so – it's. I'm I can't describe how perfect it is. I'm embarrassed that I left – it off after spending probably the last 48 hours thinking about this. <laughs> I've honestly like, I think I've honestly had this experience before. Like I've tried to do this exercise before. Yeah. And for some reason, and I start by thinking of my favorite bands. And for some reason, I don't think of neutral milk hotel when I think of my favorite bands, probably because they are just that one album to me. Yes. So, yeah. so anyway, I've, I've made this mistake before and now I've made it publicly. So I need some some time to uh, grovel. Oh shame. oh oh! I know my fifth album. I know my fifth album. Oh yay! It's um brother sister by me without you. Oh yeah. Oh well yeah. Of course it. Yeah, you would have to have a, a me without you on there. It would be very hard to pick, but I think brother sister would give me the feelings. Actually, mm, uh oh. Maybe I would take off brand new since it's complicated. Ooh. And yeah. put on A to B life by me to without you. To me without you records, maybe. Yeah, but cool. they're they serve very two very different purposes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I think that's a cool choice. Um, will. All right, I would I would shake your hand if we were in the same room. No, you wouldn't. As a way of saying well done. And oh, thank you. I would accept mm -hmm. that and then collapse into your arms. <laughs> Yes, yeah. I know I know you would. Again, gendered differences. Yeah. <laughs> Slash just Liz being right. Liz. Yeah. And and me being me, yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. And yeah, thank you. we'll see you next week for the next episode of The Smug Butts. Bye. Bye. Will is on Twitter and letterboxed at youngest of one. And his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>